Good morning, everyone. Uh, well, um, I don't know if some of you remember, I spoke briefly a couple of weeks ago with Anne, and at that time, uh, amongst some of the people that I was talking about, uh, Ruth uh, from the Bible was um, someone who I wanted to pay sharp focus towards. Um, she is my favorite biblical character. And uh, today, I was asked by Lloyd to see whether um, I could follow up the fire that was brought by Lance and Claire last week. Um, I can humbly say I can come nowhere near that. Um, but several weeks ago, um, Pete had actually asked me about talking on um, biblical heroes. And then Lloyd had uh, mentioned it again in text messages to me if I was uncomfortable going down the testimony route. So that's where we're at right now. I'm going to talk about my second favorite biblical character, Rahab. She is dear to me. And so I hope after our talk today, she'll be dear to you as well, if not already. Um, before I do that, though, I want to talk about some of my initial thoughts on women in the Bible. You see, I didn't start reading the Bible properly until about 10 years ago, taking God really seriously. Um, and that's not to say that um, I am holy or pious today. It's more just to say that I, I've taken it a lot more serious than I have in my whole life. But 10 years ago, one of the things that really hit me hard was learning about the place of women in the Bible, how God sees women. You see, the first point there, the value of women by the ancient world versus the value given by Jesus. At that time, women were not as held up in esteem as they should be. Their testimony was half that of a man. You know, really sad stuff. But you see, the way that Jesus saw it was this upside-down kingdom way of viewing things, and women was a beautiful example. Did you know that Jesus was funded by women? Luke talks about this. Beautiful stuff. When I heard about it, it hit me hard. I'll read the scripture. Point four. Soon afterward, he went through, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. And again, point five, it was the women who didn't leave Jesus. All of the disciples except John had run away. They'd hid. They were afraid. These faithful women, they stood by him. When he was resurrected, he first was revealed to them. I love this. I love the way our Lord acts. So, I'm already crying, I'm only five minutes into it. <laughs> Thank you. Last point. As stated earlier, Ruth is my favorite biblical character, followed closely in second by Rahab, who was Ruth's future mother-in-law. And we'll come to that at the very end. I do have a number of um, topics. I'll try and not be long-winded, but forgive me if I do. 
please know it's all for the glory of God. First, I'll give a synopsis. God picks broken but willing people, Rahab. Secondly, faith. Rahab believes without seeing. I'll expand on that. She chooses to serve God at her risk and the risk of her family. Three, one of my favorite words in the Bible, hesed. Hesed, believing loyalty, kindness. That's what's used in Ruth, but we'll expand on that, loving loyalty. Four, the scarlet cord. Man, it brings tears to my eyes thinking about this. The allusions to Passover, the allusions to the blood of our Savior. Used in this very example. Five, we'll talk about reflections in the New Testament. In James and in Hebrews, referring specifically to Rahab. And then lastly, I'll come back to this issue of Rahab's place in terms of her lineage. Synopsis. See there, that's the city of Jericho. I don't know if you're familiar with the story. city of Jericho is fortified. It is difficult to overcome. It is almost impenetrable. You can see the way it's set out, excellent, excellently from a military perspective. But God reigns supreme overall. Who does he use? Who does he use of all of the people he could use in order for Israel to breach their walls? Who does he use? A prostitute. A pagan prostitute. Let's read it. Joshua 2. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And when it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. And I've emphasized this last part. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, true, the men came to me, but I do not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for they will overtake them. She lies. But it is a righteous lie. And that's a huge topic in itself. We can come back to that later. <laughs> but I acknowledge it. The question is, why does she hide help them? Let's read. We're going to read the Bible today. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that, I, that as I have dealt kindly, we'll come back to that word kindly, with you, 
you also will deal kindly with my father's house. Second topic, faith. Emuna, emit in the Old Testament in Hebrew, truth. Rahab has not seen any of the miracles. She's only heard of it, but she believes. You see, at that time, Pharaoh reigned supreme. He claimed to be a god. He lifted himself up. All of the nations were fearful of, his, of Egypt. So when the big showdown happens between Yahweh and Pharaoh, obviously Yahweh wins. Rahab sees that and she believes straight away. She tells the spies of the other things that she has seen. She purposefully disobeys, lies to her king, and she shows great skill in advising the spies. She risks her life and the life of her family. We'll learn very shortly about the fact that she had multiple members of her family living in her very house, if not all of them. She acknowledges that there is no other God like Yahweh. She trusts in him. She wishes to follow him. She is prepared to help Israel in return for safety of her family. So she does that by ensuring that an oath is made between her and the spies. Let's read it. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down a rope through the windows, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And we'll come back to that later, about her house being built into the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards, you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all of your father's household. And she said, According to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and then she tied the scarlet cord in the window. I love it. This word kind, kindly, dealing with kindly, when you look at what that Hebrew word is, it's hesed. I've broken it down very simply. We could talk about this for hours, but for the purposes of today's purposes, I've broken down to two concepts, loving loyalty, believing loyalty. Did you know that the word hesed occurs 244 times, 45 times in the Old Testament, an overwhelmingly majority in the Psalms? And it's usually about God's hesed towards us, this covenant relationship, this love and loyalty that he shows to us. Hallelujah. But the English word kindness, it doesn't do justice. Let me read this quote from one of my favorite scholars, and we'll hear from him a bit more, Michael Heiser. The English word used kindness doesn't express it fully. 
it's not a spontaneous, unmotivated kindness, but relates to a mode of behavior that arises from a relationship defined by rights and obligations, covenant. Marriage. Last week, we saw that. Believing loyalty. Even when God doesn't directly extend Hesed to people outside of Israel, so we're getting back to Rahab now, he still loves them and he still makes a way for them to be participants. He still makes a way for them to believe and be loyal to him. In Rahab's case, it's turning from other gods, fulfilling Hesed from the spies. And not just gods, but her way of life, the authority for which she thought she was under. She boldly steps out, believing that the loyalty she shows to these spies and to their God will be reciprocated to her and her family. I'm sorry, I'm getting angry now, aren't I? <laughs> this is my favorite verse when it comes to talking about Hesed, Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness, he said, and to walk humbly with your God? If you ever wanted a verse to understand this concept of he said, this is the one right here. Walking humbly with your God. Having this reciprocal relationship of trust and confidence. If you remember last time I spoke, I spoke to you about Proverbs 17, 17. This is a very close second. The scarlet cord. I apologize if I start crying again. See, the spies knew when they gave the scarlet cord to Rahab that it was symbolic symbolic of what they had gone through themselves in terms of Passover. There's no mistake about the color of the cord. They were familiar with their deliverance, and this woman and her family, through her hesed, was going to experience the same deliverance. They showed hesed to Rahab and all her family, salvation by residing in the home with the cord on the window. Remember when I spoke before a couple of minutes ago about her house being built into the wall. As the trumpets, if you're familiar with the story, Israel are marching around Jericho. The trumpets are occurring. The marching is occurring. All of Rahab's family are in their home, right on that wall. Joshua 6.20. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people let out a great shout and the wall fell down flat. What part of the wall, though, did not fall down, did not break down? There was etched into the wall. Rahab's house, that scarlet cord on the window, passed over. That household saved because of her faith, her hesed. Hallelujah. Miraculous that Rahab's home attached to the outer wall did not come to any harm. All her family residing inside, like Passover, imagery of the scarlet cord hanging on the window. Remember, the blood of the lamb on the doorposts 
above each of the homes. The scarlet cord on the window of the believing woman and her household. What is all that an illusion of? Pretty obvious, right? The blood of the Lamb, our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I love this so much. And look, we've just dealt with the Old Testament parts. But when we fast forward, fast forward in time, we see some wonderful men talk about Rahab, this prostitute, this pagan prostitute from a hostile nation. But she has been lifted up in the New Testament, starting with James. Who is James? Jesus' brother, well, half-brother. Let's read. What use it, my dear family, if someone says they have faith when they don't have works? Can faith save such a person's? Supposing a brother or sister is without clothing and is short even of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, be full, but doesn't give them what their body needs, their bodies need, what use is that? In the same way, faith all by itself without works is dead. But supposing someone says, well, you have faith and I have works, all right, show me your faith but without doing any works, then I will show you my faith and I'll do it by my works. You believe that God is one? The Shema, for any of you who know about Israel's daily calling. Well and good. The demons believe that too and they tremble. And this is where we get to Rahab. So, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she gave shelter to the spies and then sent them off by another road? Just as the body without the spirit is dead, you see, so faith without works is dead. And I know this topic is controversial. I'm not trying to doubt anyone's salvation. That is not my intention but let's be real about the intersection between faith and how it interacts with your everyday real life. Rahab is a beautiful example of faith without works is dead. Without her works, her family would have been dead. Uh, I spoke about N.T. Wright last time. I'm going to talk about him again because he's awesome. He is a beautiful man. I love what he says here. But at the level of illustration, this is how it works. There is no point in saying to someone without clothes or food, be warm and full. Those words won't do anything to help. They need to be translated into action. The faith, quote unquote, which isn't enough, is a mere verbal formula. It won't do simply to tick the box saying, I believe in one God and hope that that will do it. It won't, without a radical change of life, that faith is worthless and will not rescue someone from sin and death. See, it was a radical change in Rahab's life that led to her being saved. 
This is what N.T. Wright says specifically about Rahab, and I'll paraphrase some parts so we're not here all day. The second person James mentions is Rahab. The first person he mentions is Abraham. She appears initially to be an unlikely example of faith since she was a pagan prostitute. The point is that she translated that belief into action even though it was risky. Translating belief into action even when it seems impossible or downright dangerous. That is the faith that matters. That is the faith that justifies. That is the faith that saves. This is near the heart of the message of James. The challenge to make sure that faith is the real thing. That it does what it says on the packet. I um, spoke before about Michael Heiser and the issue, the concept of hesed. I love his take on the Hebrews Hall of Faith. Hebrews 11, for those of you who are not familiar. It's a long list of biblical characters who had demonstrated their faith in action. And Rahab features here too. But in Hebrews 10, I like the summary here leading into Hebrews 11. This kind of faith is a tenacity. It's a persistence, a persistent belief a persistent believing loyalty in what Jesus has done at the cross event and then becomes the basis for confidence. Not something we've done, not something we've talked ourselves into. It's a confidence in something, apologies, that is done for us. So it's not shrinking back. That's the quality, that's characteristic of all of the examples that follow. They're not shrinking back. We don't know for sure who wrote Hebrews, but whoever it was knew the importance of Rahab and her part and prominence. I'm not too sure, Johnny, if you know who wrote Hebrews, but I don't. Yeah. Some say um, John, some say Paul, I'm not sure. Any, any takes on that? Barnabas. Oh, very good. I, I love Barnabas too. I get called a poor man's Barnabas sometimes. <laughs> All right. Hebrews 11. The Hall of Faith. This is what Michael Heiser says. All of the people that are listed in this chapter have one thing in common. Well, they have more than one thing in common. They all have struggles. They were suffering. They had moral lapses, a number of them. They had lapses in judgment, a number of them. But they are still here. They are still on the list. Hallelujah. That's me. That's where I'm at. I fail miserably, and yet he will still choose to use someone like me. Um, I couldn't fit the rest of the quote on the um, PowerPoint, so I'm just going to read it from here because I love it. It wasn't about the perfection of their performance or that their performance was mostly good and less bad. What they share at the end of the day, the reason that they're in is that their faith persisted. They never shrank back. They never forsook their faith. They never forsook their believing loyalty and the promises of God and what God was doing as opposed to what they were doing. 
the people listed in Hebrews 11 are not examples of never having a problem, never making a bad decision, never sinning, quite the contrary. They are examples of positively never trading in their faith, never worshipping another god, and they maintain belief despite life, despite persecution, doubt, and their own failure. Hallelujah, last week was an example of that. This wonderful couple struggling with their marriage, struggling through such deep-seated painful issues, never stopped believing in God. And look what God has done to them today. Do you know that Lance and Claire have only been coming to this church since July? And then fast forward to October, and they are presenting such vulnerable confidential things but it's all for the glory of God right and it's all to encourage all of you me I've only been here since April glorify God I'm here I am willing I have hesed towards you Lord I'm not perfect check out the hall of faith you'll see some people there you're like oh I don't know about you Samson Rahab, man. This is what the author of Hebrews has to say about Rahab specifically. <sighs> By faith, pistis, Greek for faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish. That's it. But by faith, she did not perish. Beautiful stuff. She's in there amongst other heavyweights of our Bible. This humble woman, but without her, Jericho would not have fallen. This is the last thing I want to finish on. And thank you all for bearing with me. Thank you for your patience. I hope that this has been some encouragement to you. This is Matthew chapter 1, 5, and 6. This is the lineage of our Lord. And Salmon, or Salmon, Johnny, do I know how to pronounce that properly? Don't worry. The father of Boaz by Rahab. The father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. Isn't it miraculous how God sees the world so different? You see, David is not a pure blood Israelite. Two of the significant women in his life story are foreigners. They are not part of the 12 tribes, but they have been grafted in. They are still important to God. God gives him them a way to see his hesed and for them to reciprocate. Rahab from Jericho, a Canaanite. Ruth from Moab. Isn't this beautiful? And then our Lord, our Lord himself, he is not a pure-blood Israelite. These women who played faithful roles, without them, we would not have our Lord. He chose to have that lineage. I love it. 
This is why she is my second favorite character, follow very closely behind Ruth. So, I've come to the end of my talk today, and perhaps if the band can come and um, just start doing their beautiful things behind me, that'd be wonderful. Um, I'm at the cliche, cliche time now about asking whether anyone wants to be prayed for. And the reason I say it's cliche is because um, it does happen all the time. But it is good that it happens all the time. Because you see, we are a community. We are the body of Christ. Some of us can take some parts of Rahab's story, not to the extreme that I've shown, but can take some parts of it and think, yeah, I haven't been worthy. I've fallen short. But I know that God is good. I'll never leave you, O Lord. But I feel like I'm not able to come to you. I feel like I am struggling with significant parts of my life. Like it is all too much. You've come to the right place. I'm not saying I have all the answers. I don't. But I know a God who does. I know a wonderful Holy Spirit who works through all of us if we are willing to show that same hesed, that same faith, and that same trust.